All right. If you have a Bible, um, you can open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're continuing our study through this small letter written by the Apostle Paul to this young pastor, Timothy. He's pastoring in Ephesus, and there's a lot going on uh, in his world. I want to I start uh, by asking you this question. What are you afraid of? What's your greatest fear in, in this life? Or, or even maybe just your fear this morning. What's something you're fa- afraid of? I think that one of our collective fears as a culture right now, the fear of our age, of our time, of this generation, it's the fear of what will people think of me? What will people think of me? I mean, isn't social media feel like just a, a big approval machine? Like, if I say this, how many people will like it? How many people will notice? How many people will comment? You know, we crave approval. The worst thing we fear, I think, is to be, to be canceled, to be shunned, to be like, not just, not just like persecuted, but just like dismissed and like, yeah, whatever. We don't, we don't care about you. you. You mean nothing. You know, it's, it's interesting too, I, as I observe um, social media, it seems like um, it's like a modern day, uh, Salem witch trials, you know, where, where everyone's, but everyone's on trial, right? Everyone is just on trial and you're waiting for somebody to say something that's to identify like, who are you with? I mean, maybe even this morning, you're like, I wonder what Mark will say to, to kind of show his cards, where he stands on certain issues. And it's like, we're all on trial and we're all um, judging everyone around us. Will my beliefs cast me out of my tribe? Well, I have great news this morning. I have great news for you. Um, we don't have to live like that. And I have the remedy for fear in my hands. In my hands, I am holding the remedy for fear. Are you ready for it? It is our passage this morning. And our big idea is what I think is kind of the theme verse of Timothy. And Jeff preached on it last week, 2 Timothy 1.7. Here's the big idea this morning if you're taking notes. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And this is such a great big idea that I came up with uh, that we're going to memorize it together, all right? Now, we've got some kids in the room with us this morning. And so, kids, I need you to look at me, all right? If you're, if you're a kid, now, some of you are like, well, what qualifies me as a kid? All right, if you just turned 13, congratulations, you're no longer a kid, which is good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is you're no longer a kid. The, the, well, it depends on how you look at it. The good news is you're an adult now. So you can start taking ownership of things in the house, dishes, chores, leave things cleaner than when you found it. Okay, so 12 and under kids, I need you to look at me because you're going to help your parents memorize this verse, okay? You guys think you can do it? So I'm going to have the kids... Read this with me. We're going to memorize it, and then we're going to give our parents and grandparents a test, okay? So, so tune in, all right? 12 and under, you guys with me? Can you read it with me? Here we go. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 
Here's the thing. I think we need some, some actions, right? What do you think for power, kids? Anyone have any ideas? What do you think of when you think power? What? Yes, there it is. We got power. And we're kind of almost close to love or this love. I don't, I don't know. This, this feels weird. It's, I was at this YouTube convention and, you know, that's what they, whatever. That's weird. But do, we'll, we'll do that. How about love? Uh, power, love. And what are we going to do for sound judgment? Maybe just, just like that, sound judgment. I'm seeing some of you guys doing that. Okay, so we got power, love, sound judgment. All right, kids, you ready? Okay. You're not too cool to do the motions because I'm making the adults do it here. All right, here we go. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Okay, next one. It's going to get harder. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Here we go. Again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Okay, here we go. Next one. Oh, no. We were supposed to be saying 2 Timothy 1.7 because you won't remember where it was if you just get the first part. All right, we'll do the 2 Timothy part. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Timothy 1.7, I almost left it off, but not you guys. Here we go again. God has not given us a spirit of peer, but one of power, love, sound judgment. 2 Timothy 1.7. Again, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 2 Timothy 1.7. All right, next one. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 2 Timothy 1.7. Congratulations, you guys. You got it. Just like now, you, we could just close in prayer, go home, that's it. That is the great news for us, and I'm gonna continue with the very next verse. So... In light of that, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. He begins, don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. 
I want to just think about this because I almost skipped over this while I was studying it. And then one of the commentators pointed this out. This is so fascinating. Who is the his in this, in this verse? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Who does the his refer to? Whose prisoner is Paul? Is it the emperor of Rome? No, it's referring to, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his, the Lord's prisoner. This is amazing. Paul's perspective about his imprisonment is that he's a prisoner of the Lord. This is the perspective we need. Paul is sitting in a cold, dark dungeon under one of the most powerful emperors of a, one of the most powerful civilizations in the history of the world, who Paul doesn't even feel the need to mention the name Nero. Likely that's who it was. Paul doesn't even think we really, his name is really relevant in this situation. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Clearly, Paul sees his imprisonment through the lens of God's sovereign authority over all things. And Paul has a unique perspective on this because he's been on both sides of the persecution. He's been the persecutor and the persecuted. He's been the one abusing, and now he's the one abused in prison by the authorities as a Christian in Acts chapter 9, in his own conversion, Paul tells a story, Acts 9, 4 through 5, he says, falling to the ground, uh, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that interesting? Saul has been going around killing Christians, and Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? But Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He wasn't there for the crucifixion of Jesus. He's persecuting all these little Christians. And yet Jesus considers it as persecution against him personally. And he says, who are you, Lord? Saul said. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. When you are mocked by the mob of culture or by your own family members or by a coworker. It's not you they are mocking. It's Jesus. And if you sit in prison, you are not their prisoner. You are God's prisoner. Which means, what is there that we could not accept as being from the hand of God in our lives? If we can view our suffering through the lens of the ultimate authority of King Jesus, that nothing happens to one of his children unless he wills it to be. What can we not face? There are five reasons I see in this passage 
for us to be people of courage. And number one, we find right here, God's eternal purposes are not controlled by any human authority. Not controlled by the president, not controlled by a Supreme Court, not controlled by a king or a queen or whatever dictator. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And I think it's interesting here, when the world gets darker, last week Jeff was kind of talking about, yeah, all of us are looking at what's happening in our world and wondering, where is this going? It's like the lights are getting turned down almost in the world, like things are getting darker, but what happens when things get darker? What happens to the light? All of a sudden, the light shines brighter. Have you ever been using your cell phone light and you're like, it's pitch black, and you're looking, and it seems pretty bright. It's illuminating everything. And all of a sudden, someone turns on the light, and you're like, oh, no, I don't need that anymore, right? But then when the lights go back down, it's like, you need your light, and you see the light. Um, I was watching a game. I don't remember what it was, maybe a basketball game or something, and the lights all just went out, boom. And everyone turns on their lights. All of a sudden, you have this arena filled with lights. Well, that's kind of what's happening in our world. And I think that's great news for us. Christian, finally, the world is going to get to see Jesus. This is great news for us. And Paul is saying, share with me, Timothy, in this suffering. And he says, and I I think this is so cool. Uh, We should not wish for this. We should not pray for things to get harder. Clearly, the Bible tells us to, to pray for peace, that we can live peaceful and quiet lives in this world. We should pray for our government authorities, yes. But what if God wants to show the world, put on display what Jesus Christ is like when Christians pray for those who persecute them, when they love their enemies, when they sacrifice and endure with patient endurance? We are seeing this all over the world, and you're not hearing about it in the news. Massive revival happening in Iran right now. What about China? Through the 40s and 50s, and they're trying to stamp out the name of Jesus, and now the gospel is going like wildfire all over China, and even to the ends of the earth. Earth Missionaries being sent out from China. I got to you know, be on a a Zoom call a few weeks ago. I think I told you about it, discipling this young man, new believer named Trump. (laughs) How he got that name, I don't know. Uh, But here I am discipling him with this pastor that came to know Jesus uh, maybe like eight years ago and is leading the church and now has Trump on the line and I'm helping disciple these, these guys There's revival happening, even what I see coming out of those of you in Veritas, this army of young people that are preaching Jesus. There's like, there's a a young man that he's the only person in his lab at the university that has any religious belief at all, much less be a Christian. And he's representing Jesus. I see parents discipling their kids to know and follow Jesus in this world. It's amazing what I see coming out of you. And it's beautiful. And it shows Jesus. And Paul says, instead, he, he says, I want you to share in the suffering for the gospel 
relying on the power of God. Verse 8, relying on the power of God. This is a call to loyalty to the gospel. Are you loyal to Jesus Christ? No matter how offensive and countercultural your belief in Jesus becomes and the teachings of Jesus, will you be loyal to King Jesus? Because Paul is inviting us into that loyalty to Jesus Christ, no matter what it costs. Share in the suffering of Jesus. Clearly, our goal at Veritas is not to become famous and televangelists, okay? This message does not go over well, but here it is in the Bible. Hey, come, join Paul in the suffering. Join me, join us, join Veritas in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. You know, I think this is, this is a problem for us and for many because if your goal in life is to be liked by all, offensive to no one, to live a safe, risk-free, comfortable life, then you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot. When our master said things like Luke 14, 33, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And Paul gives us the strategy for being loyal. He says, relying on the what? The power. This Greek word, dunamen. It's where we get our word dynamite. The dynamite of God is in you. And that's what you're relying on. You're not relying on the fact that you're a likable, winsome kind of person who's able to convince people that you're right. No. What you're relying on is the power of God that resides in you. The second reason to be courageous this morning is you have unthinkable power alive in you. The power is alive because it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's your reason for courage is because the Holy Spirit is in you. So here's how to be loyal to Jesus, you just say, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to help me because I can't do this by myself. I was thinking about this. I was, I'm kind of getting into the old hymns, starting a playlist on Spotify, going back to some old hymns because these hymns disciple us in some cool ways. Um, I thought about this one. I'm going to, yes, we could put the lyrics up on the screen to this one. Some of you guys know it, and even as I say it, you're going to want to sing it. But here it is. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? 
Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows bear? All our sorrows share. (laughs) Yes, Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You know what this hymn is telling us? Let the Lord deal with your problems. Here's what you do. You pray, you obey, and then you just leave the rest to Jesus. That's about the best you can do. Whatever's on your mind that's weighing you down this morning, just pray about it. And say, Lord, um, this is not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> Do you think God is looking at you saying, that's a big one. Good luck with that. No, he's saying, come on, bring it. What do you got? And so you say, Lord, this is what I got. I got a problem that I can't carry. I've got someone's response and someone's anger that I can't control them. And I need you to help me. That is how you rely on the power of God in your life. He goes on, verse 9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This holy calling, this saved by grace, he says, was given. This is a a passive tense in English, right? Like, it was handed to you. Someone gave you a holy calling. That's grace. God did it, not you. You didn't figure out how to save yourself. You didn't figure out how to get to Jesus. You didn't tell God how to work out this whole sin problem and the plan of salvation. No, you were walking in rebellion and sin, just like me, just like everyone else, when God stepped into your life and confronted you with a holy calling. So, as one preacher said, holiness does not get us to Christ. Christ gets us to holiness. And that's another reason for courage. The third reason for courage is your own testimony. The fact that you are here, the fact that the person sitting in your chair this morning is here is a great reason for courage because God's at work in you. And some of you are like, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm just here for the dedication or I'm just here because somebody invited me. I'm saying, well, You know what? Even the fact that you're here is not some cosmic accident. God has something for you, something that he's inviting you into. 
And just like Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried in the grave, raised on the third day, conquered death. That is how people get saved, is through that message. And that's a reason for courage. Now look at verse 10. He says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The fourth reason for courage, if you're taking notes, is you are going to live forever. You are going to live forever. He talks about Jesus has abolished death, right? We can all rejoice about the day that slavery was abolished. We can rejoice in that, right? When something terrible gets abolished, it's great news. It's great news. And especially on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the day that death was abolished. That's a great thing. And every Sunday, the reason we gather on Sundays is because that was the day Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we rejoice that we are going to live forever. If you just went to Google, for example, it's like super hypothetical situation. If you went to Google and just said, how do I overcome fear? What do you think Google's going to tell you? I tried it this week just for fun. <laughs> what do you think Google's going to tell you? What do people say about how to overcome fear? Is it to avoid it or to face it? It's to face it. That is how you overcome fear, by facing your fear, not by running away from it, insulating your life from any way of being confronted with it. Whether it's public speaking, planes, snakes, whatever, like you just got to move toward it. I am never going to touch a snake, by the way. <laughs> it's purely theoretical. Or what you should all do. You should all try this. <laughs> but not me. Okay, here's, think about this. Okay, obviously death. Death is something we all look at and fear. No doubt. What's the worst possible thing that can happen to you? You die. That's the worst possible thing. But from through the lens of resurrection, you're like, oh, that's it? Like just death? Actually, death is a gift because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like living is great, but dying is better because we get eternal life, the resurrection of our bodies, the person, the child that died too young. What a gift for them that they are reigning with Jesus in majesty and glory that has no limits and is unbounded. What a glory it is when a Christian dies. And Paul is telling Timothy, through the gospel, Jesus solved your death problem. Timothy, you're, you're invincible, right? Safety and health don't have to be your number one priority. Obedience can now replace all those things because you're just committed to following Jesus, trusting him, 
leaving the results to him. And here we see Paul inviting him into suffering because Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I was with my dad. Um, We were visiting my sister out in California, and we were on this beach near my sister's house in Carpinteria. And and we're walking, and dad, uh, uh, the boys were kind of out surfing, and and I'm sitting on the bench, and my dad kind of goes over. He has to use the restroom. He goes over, and he's kind of downcast. And he comes back all happy and joyful. I'm like, man, the bathroom, is that good? Uh, But he's like all happy. He's like, Mark, God just spoke to me. And you know, my dad was wrestling through some things. His brother had just passed away. Um, Just some things on his mind. And he comes back with a big old smile and he says, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, Jack, don't worry. You're gonna live forever. My dad, since that time, he goes around and tells people that. Oh, you know what the Lord's been speaking to me? He said, Jack, you're going to live forever. You know, and he's always telling me this. Mark, don't worry about it. You're going to live forever. That's, a, that's actually a great thing to say. Like, that sounds like the kind of thing God would say to us. Hey, Mark, don't worry about it. You're going to live forever with kind of a smile. You're like, no, these problems are serious. He's like, I know. You're going to live forever. That's kind of what Paul's doing to Timothy here. Verse 11, for this gospel, this is the good news. I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. Wow. Paul's saying, I have this assignment, a stewardship. I'm here as an ambassador. Paul's saying, I have this responsibility. Something was given to me. It's a word. It's a message. And it was handed to me. It's the message about Jesus And I'm now a teacher, an apostle, someone who sent out a herald, someone that proclaims broadly this message. Could you imagine uh, if you were, like, what's a modern-day herald? Or I think of an uh, ambassador. Uh, um, Say an ambassador of the United States to China or whatever country. What What if our ambassador goes into hiding because they're ashamed of America and American interests? What if that ambassador changes the message about American interests so they can fit into the country that they're living in? Someone would call them home and be like, you're not an ambassador. Like that's the whole point of you being there is to represent your homeland, the country, the president. An ambassador exists in a foreign country for only one reason. Speak on the behalf of the one who sent them. Christian, you are Christ's ambassador. And God have mercy if we change the message to fit in. And verse 12, and that is why I suffer these things. It's because of the gospel that Paul is suffering. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. What is he able to do? 
He is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. One of the greatest challenges in ancient times is, how do I protect this treasured possession? Because there may not be a bank that's protected with all kinds of insurance and all those things that they're going to protect my money and keep it safe. So often they would entrust their precious documents or treasured possessions with maybe a friend. Sometimes they would even put it in the temple. But how do you keep your personal treasures safe? That was one of the most sacred obligations in ancient times. And Paul is saying, I know that God is able to guard it. The last reason I see here for us to be courageous is that God is able to protect his possessions. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are God's precious possession. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And also, I think Paul is referring to the message itself that is precious to God. He's able to guard the message until that day, this deposit, this stewardship. There's nothing on this earth that will be able to stop the forward progress of the message about Jesus. Well, how do we confront this problem that all of us face? None of us want to be cast out of our sports teams and mocked. None of us want to be cast out by our families and mocked or our labs or our workplaces or our homes, mocked by a child, mocked by a sibling, mocked by a parent, whatever it is. If your main goal in life, like we said, is to be liked by all, offensive to no one, and live a comfortable, risk-free life, then you cannot be a follower of Jesus. There is a great risk in following Jesus, but there is an even greater risk in not following him. There is a cost of discipleship, but there's a greater cost of non-discipleship. Great cost to following Jesus, even greater cost for following myself. Because how am I going to solve the death problem, right? This morning is a call for us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we remember your words in Matthew 10 where you said, anyone who's ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him on that day. Then you acknowledge that there would be divisions in households, in family relationships, because of the message about you. You said a servant is not greater than his master. You've seen what they've done to me. 
Lord, this morning, I ask that you will make us a people of courage, not because we have it in ourselves to be courageous, but because we have the power of God in us. Help us to be a church that speaks truth and love, and we ask for courage this morning and and help us, even as we worship, that as we turn our eyes upon you, that all the fears and anxiety that's represented in this room would just slowly fade away. King Jesus, be glorified.